Thanks for listening to the Dr. Drew Podcast on Podcast One. Hey, welcome to the Dr. Drew Podcast. Uh, all the usual stuff, of course, support those that support us, keep the wind in the sails of the Corolla Pirate Ship. Don't forget those swinging sounds. And uh, do click through on the Amazon banner. It doesn't cost you a thing, but helps us uh, keep this thing afloat, as well as supporting those that do support the pod. We appreciate it very, very much. We try to very carefully select the people that we uh, get get behind us, and uh, I hope you'll support them. Today, I'm uh, welcoming Erica Sandberg. She Her podcast is Adventures with Money. It's available on Stitcher. Her book is Expecting Money, the Essential Financial Plan for New and Growing Families. EricaSandberg.com is where you can find her. Erica, welcome. Thank you so much. Now, the, one of the reasons I brought you in here was I think I, did I hear you on Econ Talk or something like that? Yes. yes. Okay. So I heard you on Econ Talk and you were talking about homelessness and you you talked about it in a way that was so honest. And we can talk about all the other financial issues as well as if, if you know as 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 pertains to your current book and podcast and whatnot. But I want to start with the homelessness thing because you were talking about it so honestly and from such a place of of experience. And with such a clarity that I never hear, and it drives me insane. Uh, so if you don't mind, I want to start with that. Oh, my God, absolutely. And it drives okay. me insane, too. So it's nice to have two sane people yes. talking about it. <laughs> yes. We desperately need it. Yes. So one of the things, for instance, you said is that although we all feel terrible when we see somebody need – we want to give them food because we don't want to give them money because we figure that's going to be something they use for drugs or alcohol. But food ends up being one of the bigger problems, does it not? Well, yeah. I mean, absolutely. It's interesting. I'm in San Francisco. Our, I know uh, in Los Angeles and, in fact, the greater California, um, the problem of homelessness is escalating dramatically. Yeah. Um, but food is not one of the problems that we have. Actually, there are so many places that people can go. Right. Good-hearted people, they'll give a burrito that they just have, you know, had half of. It's, it, it, that really is not the issue. This isn't a grapes of wrath uh, type of problem. Right. And so they take the food and they do or don't eat it and they throw it out onto the, the dump piles that are on either yep. side of the encampments. And now we have a rodent problem on top of a homeless problem. Oh, and, it's, it's out of control. And I don't know if you know, in Southern California, it is really out of control. Where It, it is. I yeah. was just there. Yeah. And, it, and it's, it, you, you almost can't believe what you're seeing. Yes. Like, this can't be true. I, this has got to be a movie set. It doesn't make any sense. And, and the, what, what, as a physician, what I keep telling everybody is, Aside from the volatilized norovirus, which my son has already had mm-hmm. norovirus twice from this, we're going to get from walking by the feces at the encampments or just on the street in San Francisco. We also have the fleas on the rodents carry rickettsial disease, and there's going to be major epidemics of flea vector-borne illnesses that get onto our pets, that get onto us, and, and tick-borne illnesses. They're going to be just massive and it's going to have it, – it's the way civilization works. It's the only reason humans have been able to congregate the way they have in cities is we had sanitation. And we literally, by allowing people to live sick in squalor, have had a complete breakdown of the basic functions of civilization. I love what you just said, which is allow. Yeah. We have allowed it. And it is, it's, come, it's come under this heading of being compassionate. Well, I mean, what are we going to do? Where are we going to send them? Where are they going to go? What, what, what can we possibly do? And you're thinking, well, this isn't right. 
Yeah. We can't just let it go. That's not the option. What we have right now is not acceptable. We cannot allow it. And there are so many great things that can be done that aren't being done, and you, you end up in this, these battles with City Hall and nonprofit organizations and anybody else who's, who wants to, go, who wants to hit, go into the ring and go, well, you know, we, we, we just want to do this and you want right. to do that. And it becomes this quagmire. There's so, there's, to me, there are simple things to do. You can expand conservatorship. So you can yes. you you can expand the definition of gravely disabled, and so yep. people who are so sick and being ignored or stepped over or just left to in squalor on the streets can be brought into treatment. There's a friend of mine that that works in the city council who went out and just decided, he got the ability to give showers to homeless. So he brought out these giant showers and started moving them around. He said, on average, to get one. Individual into a shower took twelve contacts. So the the point being, because there's such severe mental illness, there's such severe distress. This is not about housing, and yet the politics. Of course, housing is a piece of it, but the politicians keep harping on the housing part. Why is that? Yeah, uh, I actually sit on this on the board, the um, San Francisco uh, Police Department's uh, board on homelessness, and. I, I'm, I'm, I'm with this group of people, and the Coalition on Homelessness is there, and we're, you know, we're going head-to-head, we're, we're talking about it. And they say, housing first, and I'm, like, I'm, I'm physically pounding my, my face, fist on the table here, and they're like, housing first, nothing, nothing else will do. We want supportive, wonderful, fantastic housing, other, and if you don't have that, we won't accept anything. So this is, this is what ends up happening, is that it's not a housing issue. You can't out-house addiction. You can't out-house mental illness. Right. You can't out-house somebody who doesn't actually want to be housed. Right. So the only thing and that what, can what be percentage done is for the those, community hang to on, jump hang in. On. Those three categories, mm-hmm. what percentage of homeless do you think would be represented by those three categories you mentioned? Uh, I can speak to San Francisco. I think that the primary one right now is, and, um, unfortunately, this is good. there's a lot of overlap, but it really is drug addiction. Okay, so it's, um, it's addiction, mm-hmm. it's I don't want to yeah. be, I don't, so drug addiction, I don't want housing, or mm-hmm. severely, severely mentally ill, or some combination of those three. Correct. So that's Correct. what, 80%? I would say that's a very fair okay. uh, assessment. Right. And what, what's really interesting, Drew, is that what you will often find is that you'll hear people who are, um, you know, in city government, and they'll say things like, um, you know, these are people who just lost their jobs. Yeah, all the hey, time. You no, know, they no, were just no, evicted. No, and you're looking at no. you're looking around, going, yeah. "What? Yeah, that's not what I'm seeing. That's not what I'm smelling. That's not, that's no, not what I'm touching." I, I, I know. And I, there was an article, I think, in the LA Times this morning, where a couple had been living in their car for two years, and because they lost the job, blah blah blah. I, yeah. I said, "No, no, 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 no. Yes, the law, job law, job loss and everything is a piece of it, but there is something neuropsychiatric going on with these people. Yes. Then that, that needs to be addressed and managed, or this is not going to get better." And it, they, the people are in such massive denial about that. It drives me crazy, and people are suffering as a result. I don't understand it. I don't understand why we can't break through to give people that understanding. There, in Los Angeles, there are certain – there are groups of little social work um, – I forget what they call themselves. They have little acronyms, uh, sort of teams that are going out and having good – slowly eroding and getting people into treatment. Uh, but then again, you know, where do you send them for treatment? There are no psychiatric beds. There's no long-term facilities. What are we going to do with that? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think the, the primary problem right now is that you know we can we can come down as much as we want and say, and, and I'm I'm all I'm a 
an advocate for law enforcement. I'm, I, re- I work closely with them. I genuinely believe we need to enforce the laws, the sit-lie laws, the, the anti-encampments. We can't have it. But then you still are faced with that, well, what do, well, what do we do? And you're looking at these people who are so incapable of, of, of living in any sort of normal way that they need to have their hand held and taken to the next step. Yes, yes. And that's what, what we don't have. Right? We don't have anybody doing that. We just have maybe somebody coming out going, uh, you want a sandwich? Yeah, <laughs> no. Like, That's not going to help, dude. No, not at all. You, you need, yeah. It's a comprehensive, consistent relationship and a massaging in that relationship and the development of resources and teams. It's funny. I had a guy that recovered from homelessness call me one day and he goes, I know exactly what you guys should be doing. We need a place where you put people, four walls, a couple of beds, and there needs to be doctors and nurses and social workers and vocational rehabilitation specialists. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's a psychiatric hospital. It's yeah. exactly what's needed. It's precisely right. <laughs> and then people can be brought back into the and given a – and again, you need long-term management. You need ongoing maintenance. But we're just uh, unwilling to look at that and blame the whole thing on housing. And I – I don't understand how it's going to get better. It's funny. In New York City, I was there last week, and it seemed quite a bit better. There's a, mm-hmm. On every subway, there's a phone number. You call if you see a homeless person struggling. We'll come get them. And, yes. And why can't we do that in okay. other cities? We can. Okay. But we, ha- we truly do have to break through the resistance that is there, which is we get a lot of people who say, well, it can't be done. Or it's complicated. And as soon as, you, as, soon as that is brought out into the conversation – then options start to dissipate. They just they just float away. Yeah. And so we really can't have that approach. You know, I love that. I, I wanted to have in San Francisco billboards that say, look, if you see somebody in this state, call this number. If you see them in this type of a condition, call that number. Yeah. Get out there and do it. And sure. the resistance was ridiculous. For so what? But the, yeah. And by the way, when people get well and they get off the street and they get proper treatment, they look back and they're pissed. They're pissed oh, at the yeah. people that let them sit out there like that. Who do you think they're helping? What is their problem? You know, we, we call, um, I, to coin the term, um, hopefully I'd like, it's, it's called selfish compassion. So you're feeling compassion for those people, for anybody who's it's on the street. Narcissistic way, compassion. Homelessness, oh, it's, it's, it's completely negligent compassion. Yeah, yeah. My mother lived in her car with three of my, my siblings when I had, during a terrible financial period. So it's not like... The compassion isn't there for people, you know, from me and from others who don't want this any longer. Um, you know, it, there's so much, oh my goodness, it, 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 it's almost like, well, you know, who are you? Who are you to say these things? So you, you, you haven't were you there. one of the ones lived in the car with her? I was actually, my parents divorced um, when I was 17, so yeah. then I left to go to college. I went to uh, England to live for a while. At that stage, then everything just fell to ruin, and... Uh, yeah, she had a beat-up old station wagon, and three of my younger siblings wound up living in that car. And one of those siblings actually ended up being a heroin addict. So the effect, the ripple effect of that kind of poverty is intense. Um, but we, cli- you know, they climbed out of it. We, How did she get out of it? Um, sounds my like, mother is... Sounds like she was uh, depressed uh, also. And if somebody, oh, without a doubt. Yeah, so the depression what sends them into immobility and inertia... Oh. It's not the whole. It's not the the, the financial stuff exclusively. As these always, these other neuropsychiatric phenomenon mm-hmm. that that put a cap around it, and make it unmanageable. 
Oh, for sure. Um, networking, I know you agree with this, too, yeah. which is the more social capital you have, yep. the better. Yep. My mother is one of those people. She can't go into a supermarket without leaving a friend of somebody there. That's nice. And that's an, you know, an inherent part of her personality, which helped her survive that terrible point in her life, which mm-hmm. is you trust in others. You ask for help, you give help. You know, it's, it's that bonding that you have with, with good, caring people. And that, oh, that, that sense of, like, i got to work, work my way out of this. I, I cannot live like this. You don't give up. And a lot of people do give up. And it's because, you know, you, have, you do have these other pressures that are going on. I mean, hey, let's face it. When my sister was a heroin addict, it was a bad, bad time. And I just talked to her the other day, and I'm like, Marsh, how, how did you do it? What, what happened? And I think we all kind of collectively went to her and pulled her by her hair, essentially, and said, this is not, this will not continue. <laughs> this will not, <laughs> we will not allow this. I've seen a, I've a while, seen a, but it worked. Yeah, I've seen a lot more aggressive interventions than that that don't turn people around. Did she, was she sort of willing and contemplative at that point? Uh, she OD'd a couple of times yeah. uh, before that, um, but it, it truly was a, I, I almost felt like that we came down like a, like a, a herd of rhinoceroses mm. on her. Like, we, we just won't stand around and let this happen. And, Is she uh, in, you know, the, if, in the program now? Oh, she's been clean now yeah. for going on 15 years. Does she have advice for people on the streets? She shooting? does, and we yeah. talked a lot about it. And safe injection sites are a big, a big buzzword these days. I don't yeah. know how you feel about it. I'm yeah. not a fan. She's on the edge. And we talked about it a lot. Like, would that have helped? And I think... If, Mar- if my sister were still in her addiction, if she were still active in her, would I want her to go to a safe injection site? Would that be my, would that be my wish for her? And I thought, actually, I'd rather her stay in the junk, junkie house. What if there were motivational specialists at the safe injection site that help get people from resistance to at least mm. considering recovery? If there were a way for them to be combined with, okay, now that we have you here, yeah. <laughs> now let's really get you full force into recovery mode. Well, that's usually um, what that's what they're that's the idea. I don't know that actually is you know is executed that way, but yeah. like, like there are. It was originally the model was originally drinking houses. People could go and drink as much as they want, but it's fully housed by recovering people and motivational specialists, and mm-hmm. they have a very high rate of getting people from alcoholism to recovery in those uh, those wet homes. But I, I don't know that anyone's ever proven it for opiates. I don't know that. Yeah, that. well, I mean, seriously, if, if the intention behind it and the, and the execution truly was a, hey, now that you're here, let's get you into recovering center. Let's get a substance abuse place out yeah. there for you right now. We'll get going. Then that would be on the, on the upside for me. Yeah. The problem, of course, is crime. I talked to a lot of people in Vancouver who, um, where there is a, I think it was one of the first safe injection sites. And um, they had to have 60 additional police officers out there around the building to, main, to deal with the, the crime and the drug dealing and the people who were passed out. And it, it was, it's been really tough. So and we can say, yeah, it looks great on the inside, but on the outside, i got some problems with and that. I, I have a problem with the, the needle exchange programs. In that, <gasps> well, I, I don't mind needle exchange. That's great. But needle giveaways is how you're ending up with the needles all over the streets. They're everywhere. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I walk out, and I live in, a, in San Francisco in a nice neighborhood. I'm seeing needles everywhere. They're in front of playgrounds. They're in playgrounds. They're in parks. 
They're on the beach. They're washing up. They're washing into the bay in, in record numbers. And it's, I do blame, I got to say, sorry, Department of Health, but, you know, you're on my hit list. They, they hand them out like they are Skittles. Take them. Just take them. Yeah, the exchange idea was was a zero sum, right? Or at least yes. one for two or something. Yes. But just handouts is how you end up with a real problem from a public mm-hmm. health standpoint. And yeah, so that's, it, that's it's really dramatic. How did you get involved? Is it because of your mom's homelessness that you got interested in all this? You know, there were a lot of reasons. Um, when I first moved to San Francisco, um, I think my, my first reaction was, like dumbstruck with love like this is I, I fall in love with cities <laughs> I don't know mm. what it is like I fell in love with London I fall in love with, with uh, San Francisco and when I start, uh, started to see it take a really horrible downward turn we've always had homelessness every city does um, but when it started to get bad to the point of freakishness and we have this wonderful cable car system you go down to the cable car turn around it used to be this like charming place and there are people passed out everywhere, ranting, raving, losing their minds, half naked, half dead, dead. It's, it, it got to the point now when I go to sleep at night, I think about it, and, I, and it, it plagues me. I'm, I'm just... Yeah, I don't understand how people could not do something about it. I'm with you on it. Yeah. So that really was the, the start of it. And because of that, then I started to really get involved in um, city organizing Community organizing. I don't call myself an activist because that tends to kind of feel like I'm maybe in a lot, very left of center, which I'm not. I'm a gadfly. I really don't care. I'm not that, you know. Yeah. Um, but I, I would say it's more of a protectionist. I want to protect yeah. the community. I get people all the time from, uh, from the community, people who are visiting the city, uh, people who are working here, going, this, this, this is breaking my heart. Plus, when, people, when people come from other countries, they, they can't, they can, this can, it's baffling to them. Oh, it's so baffling. Although I did hear that in London, their problem is getting um, quite a bit worse than you know, I can even imagine. And of course, Canada has a pretty serious uh, problem as well. So, what with their perfect healthcare system? How could they possibly have a problem? I know. I know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for me, it was just a matter of love. It's kind of like taking, you see a child, just like we, we did with yeah. my sister, and kind of cradling in, your, in our arms and saying, yeah, we're not going to let this happen to you anymore. You know, it's done. It's over. And what I love, Drew, is that we are truly seeing a change. I am seeing more and more people going, yeah, I'm not going to believe this any longer. You're lying to me. I believe observational data. That person on the ground looks like they've been there mm, maybe you know, three years. Yeah. Not they. You know, they were housed last month, and now there they there they are. Right. So yeah. Uh, I, and I, again, our, our politicians are failing these people and failing our communities so so profoundly, and, and a lot of it is in California. To be fair, I mean, where things are just breaking down like you can't believe. I, I, I noticed last week when I was in New York, I felt such relief being in New York City. I thought, well, this is odd. <laughs> it's just, uh. you know, when, when the homeless people are kind of on top of us, there are so few and there's something to be done about them as compared to California where it's just spiraling out of control and, and just empty, lying rhetoric by the politicians. Yes. It's too much to to believe. And no accountability. Zero. Absolutely yeah. zero. So we flood money to the system. We have uh, here – in this city, a $300 million annual budget. And what result? Zilch. This is San Francisco. Nothing. Yeah, Yeah, San Francisco. And um, 
you know, it just it just is goes your down new the mayor is your new. I spoke to London Breed once, and she seemed like a rational person. Is she going to help you? Well, it's interesting. London and I have. We don't agree on everything, um, and it's funny because we did go to the whole like my sister, she, her sister actually died of mm. uh, an overdose, mm. and mine overdosed several times, mm-hmm. and so we we were kind of like head to head one day. We were talking about it, and the, the our conclusions were different. Now, this doesn't mean I don't respect her. I do actually. She's a very nice woman. She was and in I favor she, of expanding conservatorship. She's in favor and of that because of that. I I bow down to yeah, her for that exactly. Exactly. But then I come back up again and I say, you've got to be kidding me. Mm-hmm. You know, this is not. What... So I genuinely believe that she is a, um, a lover of San Francisco as mm-hmm. well. So, I'd, you know, hey, I'd love to. Uh, although I'm running, in, I'm running for mayor in 2019. Oh, congratulations. So. That's interesting. Thank you. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's almost more of a, look, just let me talk about these issues. <laughs> Do I really want to be mayor? Yeah, um, I know. I, who, right. Careful what you wish for. <laughs> Well, if you like this show, then you must check out The Adam Carolla Show every weekday on Podcast One. The Ace Man still holds the title of the number one daily downloaded podcast in the world, and he complains about whatever is on his mind, and there's always something. Celebrity pals like myself, Joe Coy, many, many more. Don't miss it. Weekdays on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. It is summer, which means hydrolite, everybody. You could be exercising, lying on the beach, whatever it is, but you got to stay hydrated, and the simply best way to do so is with hydrolite. Water itself does not do it. You need a proper balance of sodium, glucose, and water. Hydrolyte does this better than any sports drink and certainly better than water alone. In fact, Hydrolyte is the best oral hydration product I've ever tried. I wanted to invent exactly this myself. I had it in mind and lo and behold, on comes Hydrolyte, so I back them. Great flavors like orange berry lemonade available as a pre-mixed drink or a powder. My personal preference is the effervescent tablets. You simply drop in a glass of water or a bottle of water and compared to sports drinks, Hydrolyte delivers up to four times the electrolytes with 75% less sugar. The solutions at Hydrolyte Hydrolyte are appropriate for all ages, and each bottle or package includes easy-to-follow dosing instructions. You can find Hydrolyte at Rite Aid or at Hydrolyte.com. Again, that is H-Y-D-R-A-L-Y-T-E.com slash D-R-D-R-E-W slash Dr. Drew. And for a limited time, our listeners get a 30% discount on Hydrolyte. Just check the banner at DrDrew.com. Use the code D-R-D-R-E-W-18 at checkout. That is Hydrolyte.com slash Dr. Drew, and then use that code Dr. Drew18. Well, maybe you're looking for a car. That's right. And you're probably familiar with terms like MSRP and dealer price and list price and invoice price and all these crazy things that are there primarily confusing, let's be fair. But what you want is the price, what it actually is going to cost you, and that's why we have True Price from True Car. Now you can know exactly what you'll pay for the car you want, including fees and accessories before you ever even get to the dealership. True Car dealers will show you the true price on cars like the one you want, all from the comfort of your home. And how do you know True Price is a great price? Because True Car shows you what other people paid for the same car you want and your True Car certified dealer knows this and they set their true price competitively so they will win your business. So you'll learn all about the car, you'll learn all about the pricing in the area and once you lock in that price, you're actually locking in a price for a real inventory, for an actual vehicle on a True Car certified dealer's lot. And of course, True Car is a place to buy your used cars as well. When you're ready to buy, new or used, just visit True Car and you will enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. So let, let's talk about your other your your life and uh, mm-hmm. money and economics and uh, whatnot. Now, what what were you on Econ Top for? What jumped out was the homeless stuff. I forget what you were talking yes. about. The actual well, that, primary part of the podcast. <laughs> no, um, so Russ Roberts, who's phenomenal, I yeah. just love him, um, and obviously you do too. 
uh, I was involved with uh, a group called Downtown Streets Team, and there's actually a number of, the, of these types of organizations throughout the United States. Um, but it's, it's a nonprofit organization where any street person, and you could be as street as they get, in other words, curled up in a doorway for the past 10 years, never have, you know, the worst of the worst of the situation. They'll take you on. You go to the program. You sit through the meeting, you join, a, you join a group that goes out to do city beautification programs, and you get a paycheck. Actually, it's in the form of, of a gift card. So it's this transitional um, way of jumping back into the work system. And I love the mission, which is dignity through work. That's what it is. And anybody can start. So that's why I was on the show, was I was talking about my involvement with, with them, um, but also uh, the ideas about you know, finances and, you know, res- personal responsibility. I'm a big personal responsibility person. Enough of the excuses. Well, right. It seems like we have gone through a phase when our, our sort of a psychological shift in this country where people expect things to be done for them or to them and r- rather than the the emotional growth and emotional satisfaction associated with doing something for yourself. It, absolutely, and it, it's a beautiful thing. Um, when even before my parents divorced, um, the money was sort of going down, the, going down, and uh, not doing so well. My dad was a gambler, mm. so not only was he a terrible alcoholic, um, but he was a gambler. And money was in, and then it was out. And then it was in, and then it was out. And the wow. chaos was crazy. Um, but because of that, we all all the, my parents had seven children. Oh. Um, <laughs> we all had this. Okay, well, we've got to take care of ourselves. We've got to babysit. We've got to mow lawns. We've got to pick up cans. We've got, you know, yeah. um, and I think all of us really started working very early, just because you know, especially when you're a teenage girl, you know, you'd like some new clothes. Thank you very much. And it's not going to come from mom and dad. From a, from a, do you have advice for for parents about raising responsible, financially responsible kids? Sure do. Yeah. My first one is really be careful. <laughs> Let's start at the beginning. Don't have kids that you can't financially take care of if you possibly can. <laughs> I don't, I mean, think, like, I don't think, think people even it. know what you're talking about when you say that. Anymore. Oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really is. It really starts there, which is think for goodness sakes. How, they are expensive. Even if you could be a great parent, uh, but it costs money, and you can be a great parent and it doesn't cost so much, but you've got to plan ahead. You've got to think about it. For, and, and most people just don't. It's just a right one, a baby, yes. um, or That's I'm right. pregnant. So um, it really starts there. And I, I'm, I'm a huge advocate for early work. And uh, I, I love this. I remember when my daughter, who's now 15, when she would, when I would leave for work, she was just a little, little baby at that time, little toddler, and then on up. And I would say, I'm going to work. I'm so excited. Which sounds really cheesy, but I always thought, if I do that, she'll get this idea that work is really great. And even when I'm like, I'm going to work, I'm very tired, but I have to, and I'm really glad that I'm paying the bills. So, again, it sounds kind of, like, ridiculous, but if you can just instill that passion for taking care of yourself, for being self-sufficient, it's one of the best things you possibly can do, and... It doesn't take anything to say that. What other advice do you have generally for people? Uh, in other words, what, what do, what's occupying you these days in terms of people's financial health? What, what yeah, keeps you up um, at night? 
What keeps me up at night, I would say, is despondency, Mm -hmm. thinking that you can't survive with what you have or that there is not going to be a better tomorrow. Um, I get that a lot, especially when it comes to debt. Well, now, talk about that because Adam and I were talking about that the other day and we were hearing from particularly middle-aged white men uh, that sort of weird lack of spark, lack of inspiration and a feeling of being – it's discriminated against, frankly. That's sort of part of it. They're they're being told that they're privileged white men and they're responsible for everything bad in the world and and that they don't deserve anything and so they're starting to believe it. And start to really get – I wouldn't call it depressed, but sort of withdrawn. They're afraid to talk to females for fear of being misconstrued. It, it, there's just this constant feeling of worthlessness that we're seeing in, in even 20-year-old males. That's so tragic. Yeah. It really is so tragic. And that, that I, I certainly hope that this is going to be a little tiny sliver in time where that's how people are feeling. Um, it's and been it's going on for a couple of years. It's been worsening for the last couple of years. It's pretty straight, pretty pretty straight yeah. line of misery in, in that in well, that vein. It, you know, I I I think the key to to happiness, if you if you want to kind of look at it from that approach, is to contribute, to step back, and Agreed. to realize that you you yep. are really kind of part of this world, and that you're doing something really good, but also to enjoy that process, um, and hope. You've got to have hope. You ha- and. I, I can't instill that in somebody, but I can say, um, you, you know, hey, you could pay that debt off. You can work harder. You can, you can, you know, tell that person who's telling you you can't do it to f off. You can, you know, it, it, it's remarkable about what people can do once they get started. But you know, it's that inertia, right? It's that like you just can't get it's, off. It's the, the inertia, but but it's there's something in, sort of um, systemic going on now too, uh, mm-hmm. where. You know, people of profound abilities are being told, "No, nah, you're white male. Not need need not apply," and uh, and just sort of not only not need not apply, but you're responsible for everything that's going wrong in the world. So just just get at it, scram, and they, they start to me. they start to internalize that feeling. I hear a lot from these young males, uh, and then then you say, "Well, give back, be part of it, have it, get a social life," and they go, well, "I can't really talk to women because they might." They're they're misconstrued, you know. They're going <laughs> to accuse me of something, and I, I, I'm scared of that. And so it's it's an interesting time to be a male. It really is. I would think so, and I I think that we overthink <laughs> these things a lot too. Which is like, do I do I really have to? I, I was watching some movie. And I can't remember exactly what it was, but I, I remember this is. I was thinking this is such a perfect microcosm of what the times is. The, the man, the male character, the young male character, said to the woman, "I'm thinking about." about kissing you. Would it be okay yeah. if I kissed you? Yeah. And I was thinking, what, what lunacy is this? Oh, yeah. So, well, now, now not, only, not only is that now the way it works, but then you have to have paperwork. You have to no. like, sign a consent. <laughs> so, so worried about that. We don't that. want that. But on the flip side, I, I do, my daughter is stunning, and I just went to Southern California with her, and you know, I, I was noticing that there's a certain amount of pray that that you are when you're a a beautiful young woman. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I in fact I even remember walking down um the street in North Beach here in San Francisco and I was holding your hand. We were having a great time just having a lurk and this forty something year old man leans out of the car and he said something so lewd I was holding her hand yeah, and I was thinking yeah. that's the kind of stuff that we need to 
yes, deal with. That's you right. Know, it's not as it, though there still isn't a problem. That that's the conundrum. Well, yeah, and so look, look, I don't care. You, you know, you get you get this excitement to go, you know, kiss the girl that you're on a date with. Go for it, dude. Um, mm. But. There's no reason to to lean. Out. In fact, it's it's horrible. Don't lean out of a car window and start screaming something obscene yeah, at a girl who's you know clearly underage and holding her mother's hand. Oh my god, <laughs> it's just too much. <laughs> but it, maybe that's a reaction, though, isn't it? Where people do feel like they're so men, white men might feel that they're so their arms are are connected to their to their waist and they can't move so much and they just kind of bleh. Mm, but it's pretty. That's unusual. That's that's a. Ugh. But let's let's go back to the finances. So sure. we live in a time the the other sort of sort of wind that's blowing is this sort of um, democratic socialism, whatever that is. Oh, uh, God. Any any thoughts about that? Yes, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and you know I I truly hope that it is a I truly hope that most people will be able to see through it very quickly. Um, and you know, people get caught up in this whirlwind and in the excitement of something new. Okay, fine. Let's have something else that's new. Not that. That's not going to work. It's not good for the United States. It's not good for anybody. Let's just leave that alone. Thank you very much for your thoughts. <laughs> just, you know, no, I think it's just terrible. And you know, I'm, I'm very conservative in some ways when it comes to finances, both personal and political, very social, uh, as regarding you know social issues. I'm very liberal, but yeah. not not that. How do we inspire people to get into the system, the the, the economy, and to sort of uh, let the invisible hand do its work and be a part of some dynamism that would help things grow? Um, you know, I I think we all start to need to question um, how much. God, and now I'm really going to sound like a conservative. Um, but how much money that we do spend in, in the government for for things and organizations and departments that do not do anything at all. Um, and so once you start doing that, you can apply it to your own life as well, which is like, really, what am I spending my money on? Is it doing something for me? Am I getting enough out of it? Um, and if that, and you, if you start to think like that, you really start to make some positive changes. In other words, yeah. right, let's just say that you, you go to an amusement park and you drop with your family and you drop $600. Um, you know, I'd like people to go back home and think, well, was that worth it? That's a crazy you know, amount of money. Just go to an amusement park, isn't it? Well, uh, Disneyland these days. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, but, but, but to question it, like, really, is that worth it? Is that worth the cost? Is it worth the expense? Worth all my time that it took to earn that money or put it on the credit card? Now I'm going to pay interest on it. Um, to do just a, be a lot more personal and analytical about it. Just step back. This is, you know, you work hard for your money. I work hard for my money. Why is it that people will work for their money and then fritter it away? <laughs> It all goes away. I don't understand it. And that, that's, that's something that I would really love a revolution about, which is, for goodness sakes, think before you do. If, just a little bit. It doesn't have to be crazy, but if, just a little. If you were a young person today just starting out, what would you, what would you do? What, what do you think has the greatest potential and what training would you get? And That's like your top three. Because uh, okay. a lot of people are trying to figure that out right now, and it seems like such a moving target. And there's a lot of following your muse or whatever, but it, it's there's got to be some things that are more likely to bear fruit than others. 
Well, I definitely think that to dive into work as soon as possible and start saving money and start to love that feeling of saving money, mm-hmm. um, you know, just to really, really enjoy that process of moving it from gross, one hand to the next. Gross. It's a freaking gorgeous feeling. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 you get addicted to that feeling of like, oh, oh, my God, you know, now I'm really doing it. And then you start to change your financial habits after that. But when it comes to work, and this is something that's really critical, um, is stop talking to your employer or potential employer about what you want. It, the best advice I can give to anybody out there who's looking for a job, you know, wants to excel, Really focus on what they want. What is it that they're looking for? If I'm going to hire somebody who's going to help me with an article or whatever it is, I want them to come to me and say, hey, Erica, what could, I, w- I want to help you with your work. What, what would you like me to do? I could do this. I could do that. And that. But it's, I don't want them to say, you know, it really makes me feel good to sit and work with you, Erica, and I'm really, I'm really loving it. I've always wanted to be an editor. Like, I don't really care what you want. Oh, you know, so start switching it around. Be that person that is that invaluable person, you know, that, that they're the ones. I, I would like a young person to really get into that habit as well, which is, okay, what can I do to help that person? I want to be invaluable. That's what you want. And that's really cool. And start small, for goodness sakes. You know, there's this... I, you know, you've heard this a thousand times probably, but it's this idea that you're going you're gonna to start big. You're going to be a DJ and you're going to play in Ibiza. And yeah, <laughs> you're yeah. going to earn, right? Just be okay. It, I, you know, I, I listen to Adam Carolla as well and a, a lot as well as your podcast. And the whole get out there and dig a ditch. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Minimum wage is fine. I'm, I'm a huge Grapefruit Wrath fan. I've, no- <laughs> I've noticed that, that the millennials are pretty good at working hard and getting in, but then they're very impatient and yes. expect to move up very quickly. Like, well, okay, I've done my time. Let's go. Time for me to be vice president. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. And the fact is, is also, is that you may not, you may not ever make a huge amount of money. Um, so figure out how you're going to use the money that you do have. In a, in a positive way. So invest it, um, you know, buy real estate. I don't care what it is that you do, but you may not, it may not come from that job. It could come from your side hustle. It could come from some other, some other uh, way of doing things. But if you were advising someone to study something, what, what field of mm-hmm. it, let's say they didn't, they didn't have any specific interest, but they were super smart, and you'd say, well, why don't you study this? What, what kind of what, and I, don't, I hope you're not going to say computer programming because that just seems Are you too. Kidding? Yeah. <laughs> okay, here's a little secret. I was actually an art history major. Okay. And I loved almost every moment of it, um, and I I'm thrilled that I did it. So I the humanities, the liberal arts, love it. Get I want to have. It's so valuable to be to be that person who can be critical in a really great way. And you learn that in college. And if you don't go to college, fine, you don't have to, but you could learn it on your own. But, you know, so if you do pursue a higher education, for goodness sakes, get something out of it that's going to help you discern between um, truth and fact, uh, excuse me, truth and fiction, um, and that you want, oh, here's another one, is that, be polite too. We have lost our sense of civility. Mm. Um, listen to somebody. Listen without judgment, for at least for a moment. <laughs> I, I like judgment, but forgot, you know, give them give them some some time. Um, 
and don't scream and yell and and protest because somebody's got a different perspective than you. It's totally fine if somebody doesn't want to believe in human affected climate change or you know is a big fan of you know some conservative speaker. Learn to shrug it off. Like it's not a big deal. People can have differences of opinions and just kind of love it. Love that fact. Or li- listen to them so you can understand how their brains work, or maybe even change your own mind. Who knows? I mean, that's mm-hmm. it's be- better. To yeah, be that ac- echo chamber is, is pretty be, alive and well. Better to be accurate than to be right. Um, exactly. So, so you would not would uh, any particular field of uh, well, would you advise people to be an expert in something? Um. Just, I mean, just you, so have to find that ba- you have to find that balance between your passion, you know, something that really is driving you, and if you want to be a marine biologist and that's yeah. what you want to go, great, um, and practicality. You know, I, there is, philosophy is lovely, uh, though I hated it. I, I think that was one of the few classes I actually, I think I had to drop out before I did get an F in it. Oh. Um, but <laughs> it was really hard. Um, but but there, there is a certain amount of practicality as well. At least kind of think ahead a little bit. Okay, like if I studied art history, what else can I do with it? What, what, can, what can I, how can I um, parlay this into something really positive for my long-term growth? And anything can be done, you know, almost anything. So I would say as far as a major, don't just go for the STEM, which is was being pushed on everybody, which makes me want to vomit. If, if, if I had to go back to college and study... Um, Computer programming. Mm-hmm. I, I may as well just pack my life in. Um, <laughs> uh, seriously, I, I wouldn't have been able to do it. I would have loathed every moment of my life, and I, I probably would have carried through until today. So that's just not the way to go. Especially, uh, it really bugs me when people say things like, well, you know, girls need to enter those fields. If they want to. <laughs> Enough of this pushing it into that direction. Where did you go to school? I started at San Diego State, and mm-hmm. then I went to the University of London, and then uh-huh. I ended up at San Francisco State. And did you study any particular, or did you like any particular part of art history? Was there some specialization? Uh, yeah, I actually really loved African art. Oh, and interesting. So, yeah, and I especially loved the transition period, so it would be um, you know, the, the pure African um, art that you had and then oh here comes the port here comes the portuguese influence and so you could see this amazing um transition from you know from from one type of of art to the next and it was it was really beautiful to do so i mean was it practical no but here i am today right <laughs> so I, I, I think that yeah go ahead. I, I, I agree I, it's, I i do feel the way you do i i'm always afraid that I, maybe i'm Pollyannish a little bit about liberal arts, but I believe a good liberal arts education helps you think and express yourself and read and write and, and think analytically and carefully. And if you're sort of, you know, really well trained, doesn't matter what you study. Um, and, you know, then what you do with it is up to you. One of my absolute, I had two favorite classes in college. One was linguistics, um, which really blew my mind. Like it, it was this, idea that language and your brain is so interconnected that um, we can never truly understand each other unless we learn the language, uh, or at least make an attempt to learn the language. And sometimes we may not even understand each other anyway. There are some words just simply are not translatable, Mm -hmm. Um, like my favorite word of all, which is sisu, which is Finnish, meaning this courage in the face of, of odds that you will never beat. 
and it's there is no word for it in the in the um, English language. Um, but you know that was a great class, and you you probably only get that in college. Um, and then the other one was debate. Oh my gosh, I love debate. Love it. And I think everybody should take a debate class, a formal debate class. It seems like a good idea, frankly. I'll have to go back and study it. All right. And any before I let wrap this up, anything else mm-hmm. on, on the expecting money, the essential financial plan for new and growing families in the book, things you want people to sort of understand are in there? Um, you know, I just want people to understand that um, these are issues that doesn't, they don't take much. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't take a lot to prepare, but it will not happen on its own. So take a step back, do a little bit of budgeting, do a little bit of planning, uh, do as much, um, buy, buy it cheaply as much as you possibly can and expensively on the occasional thing. And uh, really having a baby is, it's, enjoy it. It's, you don't have to spend a lot in order to um, enjoy the process. And uh, yeah, raise your kids with a money smart attitude, which is, um, enjoy enjoy work, and really emphasize the power of being self sufficient. It's a beautiful thing. Well, I appreciate it, Erica Sandberg. We've had a sort of a far reaching conversation from homelessness yes. to autonomy, and I appreciate you coming in. And uh, I hope I had even close to as much fun as you had on Econ Talks. So <laughs> I had fun listening to you. <laughs> Uh, it's er- at Erica J. Sandberg. You can follow her there. You can go to ericasandberg.com. And we'll look forward to your uh, mayor- mayoral run. Was that what you were going to do in 2019? Mm-hmm. Yes. Do they, do they do a mayor every three years up there? What, or every, wait a minute. Well, oh, it's because yeah, it was a special election. That's yes, right. Oh, my God. Yes. yes. Oh. So it's, it's, it's a bizarre time. So but, yeah, come on over to San Francisco. See me. It's, it's a great city. Sorry about the needles. <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like it's sort of starting to move in the right direction. I, I'm just I I feel like the, the 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 as you said the people aren't ex- there the empty rhetoric is not being accepted any longer, and people are sort of finding solutions on their own, not even necessarily with the government, and certainly not with the government rhetoric. Uh, yeah. They're just saying just shut up. We're going to go try to take care of this problem. And and in Los Angeles, we have lots of money now being dedicated to it. As long as they keep the clinical side properly funded, it will, it will kind of go okay, I suspect. Mm-hmm. All right, Erica, thank you so much. I appreciate you spending some time with me. Thank you. Bye. Right. Bye-bye. Take care. And that about does it. We'll see you all next time. For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes. Only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. Mm-hmm.